I have preached, I, I tried to do the math on this, it would be hard to tell you an exact number, but a good estimate would be somewhere between 500 and 600 sermons in, in my lifetime. Uh, I've been your pastor for 10 years. I've preached on average 45 Sunday mornings, so there's 450 right there. When you throw in other churches, when you throw in guest spots, experiences here and there, the number is probably somewhere between five and 600. And I can tell you that over the course of five or 600 sermons, I wonder if I'll get a name men from Pastor Marianne over here. The most difficult part for me is always the ending. Do you ever feel that way, Pastor Marianne? It's the ending. I can blather on for hours without really saying much of anything important. But when it comes to the ending, that's the hardest part for me. A lot of times I'll go back and listen to recordings of my, my sermons. Bonnie Carlson helps me uh, catalog recordings of all of my sermons. And sometimes when I'm getting a little too cocky, I go back and listen to a sermon that I recently preached. And I think, oh my goodness, that was not good. That was not good. And, and most often I'm unsatisfied with the way that I ended the sermon. And I found that even when I think I've prepared really well, and even when my notes are really, really good, a lot of times I still come away wishing that I just had been more clear and more succinct and more direct at the end. Uh, many preachers fill the bodies of their sermons with information that they want the congregation to hear, but in the final minutes, and this is what I think is, is one of the things that makes the end of a sermon so difficult. In those final minutes, we want to encourage the congregation to actually apply what they've heard. It's, it's not enough to just hear it. It's in those last few minutes that I really want to, I want to encourage you to apply what you've heard to your life. Preachers want to inspire action. Sometimes people will tell me they enjoy my preaching. Usually it's my mom. <laughs> it interests them and it keeps their attention. And, and it's encouraging when, when somebody says that to me. When somebody says, Pastor, I, just, I, I really appreciate your sermons. Uh, but here's the thing. If the sermons that I preach don't motivate you to apply what you've heard in your life, then I've missed the mark. As a preacher, it doesn't really matter how interesting it is. If it doesn't inspire action, it's, it's ultimately fruitless. And so in those closing moments of, of the sermons I preach, I want you to feel like, you know what? I want to incorporate this, what I've heard today, into my life today. Because this is something I can do, and this is going to help me grow. The words that I'm going to read in a moment as I plagiarize Jesus one more time, though this is the last time, at least for this series. The words that I'm going to read in a few moments are that part of the sermon. It's the closing part of Jesus's sermon on the Mount. Today is the end of our long journey through Jesus's treatise on the kingdom of God, Matthew's chapter five, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. These words are Jesus's attempt to motivate his listeners including us, not just the ones who were literally on the mountainside that morning. This includes us, right? These words are his attempt to motivate us to not merely consider what he has said, but to actually apply his words to our daily lives. So let's listen to Jesus land the plane here. Let's listen to Jesus conclude the sermon. Here's how he does it. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And according to Matthew's record, that's the end of the sermon. He includes one last line at the end of the chapter about how all the people listened to Jesus with great amazement, met each other in the foyer and said, wow, that was a good sermon, wasn't it? But that's it. That's the end of the sermon. Maybe I need to learn to be a little bit more blunt when I end a sermon. Because Jesus is essentially saying as the conclusion point of his sermon, if you don't bother to apply what I've said to your life, your life is going to come crashing down around you. All right, you are dismissed. (laughs) That's how Jesus ends his sermon there. And that's pretty straightforward. But I think there's definitely encouragement to be found here. And we don't have to look too far because the word of God is always encouraging always edifying. There's encouragement here specifically for those of us who are still intent on kingdom living. We want to live in the kingdom of God. And that's where I want us to focus today. Actually, the heart of that encouragement is in the very first word, uh, the very first verse rather that I read. And I'm going to repeat it to you. It's from Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. Jesus said this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I've never built a house, but I can imagine that anchoring your construction to solid, solid bedrock is a very long, very tiresome process. I imagine that it's long and tiresome today Rewind technology about 2,000 years, and the people Jesus was talking to would say, wow, that is a very long, very tiresome process. And on a calm, sunny day, a builder might wonder why a solid foundation is even necessary for his house. I mean, why, why waste the time? Why waste the energy? never built a house, but I've, I've learned to do a handful of other construction and maintenance projects through my years of owning a home. And I've involved that most of the do-it-yourself home pro- projects also involve long, tiresome steps. And sometimes they seem unnecessary. There have been times when I've been tempted and even succumbed to the temptation to skip over that. Oh, is that really important? Is that really necessary? When I first moved into the home that Sue and I have lived in the last 18 years, uh, I needed to repair the sump pump line, the PVC pipe that led from our sump pump to the outdoors. I had to replace some of the joints in the, the PVC piping. And 
I'd seen it done before, how hard could it be? And so I went to the, the hardware store and got the right size of PVC pipe. And, and right next to the shelf where they sell the PVC pipe, they, they sell the PVC glue. Well, that makes sense. You're gonna have to glue the pipes together. So I bought the PVC glue for the PVC pipes, but right next to the shelf where they sell the PVC glue, they sell the PVC primer. It's purple. Comes in a little jar like that, and you're supposed to put it on the pipe before you put the glue on the pipe. I mean, really, primer? I felt like my PVC pipe was prime already. And that bottle of primer was like $1.19. I wasn't born yesterday. That's an obvious markup. I'm not going to spend money on that. What do you need? You need pipe, you need glue. If the glue didn't stick the pipes together, they wouldn't call it glue, right? So I bought the pipe, I bought the glue, I put the PVC stuff together, reassembled my sump pump, and it worked beautifully. For like three weeks. <laughs> and then I came down, uh, came home one day and, and heard the water alarm in the basement. And I go down there, and one of those joints right above, uh, you know, eye level or so had just busted apart in the pressure of the water. And what I had now was not so much a sump pump as a sump fountain. Kind of like Buckingham downtown, where it was just I have always used PVC primer from that day to this. We learn our lessons well, right? Uh, gives you insight, if nothing else, into just how lazy I am. Because it doesn't take too much to add a little primer on the pipes before you glue them together. It doesn't take too much, but it just felt to me like a step, a step that you could skip. I was wrong. Wisdom doesn't come from merely listening to Jesus's words. It doesn't even really come from meditating on Jesus's words, learning them, memorizing them, analyzing them. We, we should do all of those things, but that's not where wisdom comes from. Wisdom comes from putting Jesus's words into practice. In the parlance of young adults today, you have to actually do the things. But sometimes the words Jesus speaks they just don't feel relevant to our current situation. Like, like taking the time and energy to drill down into solid bedrock or taking the 30 seconds to wipe a little purple primer around the pipe before you glue it. You know, it's things that just seem unnecessary, things that seem a waste of time and energy. Does it really matter, we wonder, as we look around and appreciate how calm the skies are and how nice the breeze is? It's in these moments that Jesus' story should remind us that obedience doesn't always make sense at the time. Obedience doesn't always make sense at the time. People my age know this inherently because we grew up watching Danielson wax Mr. Miyagi's cars. And every day he waxed Mr. Miyagi's cars. Didn't he wax on, wax off? Wax on, wax off. And he said, I'm tired now. Can I go home? And Mr. Miyagi said, no, wax the cops. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. It didn't seem relevant to Danielson. Why do I have to be obedient? Why do I have to paint the fence? Why do I have to sand the floor? But he learned that being obedient in the now bore fruit later on, didn't it? You don't build a house in the middle of a storm. 
You build a house when the weather is calm and the conditions are favorable. But storms do come. They come to everyone. In Jesus' story, the storm came to the wise man and it came to the foolish man alike. And when storms come, you had better hope that your house was built according to the rules. In the same way, the instructions that Jesus has given us for life in his kingdom might not always make sense in, in present circumstances, in current circumstances. The purposes of those instructions, the words of Jesus, might not be apparent. Their relevance might not be obvious. We've heard some examples right in the Sermon on the Mount, haven't we? Jesus said, save even the thought of sexual intimacy for marriage. Why? Who does it harm? Jesus said, work hard to reconcile with others, even if they're the ones who are in the wrong. Why? Why does it matter? Jesus said, don't escalate an argument, even if you're arguing with an evil person who probably deserves it. Well, why not? Why not? Why, why, Why does it even matter? Do you remember several months ago, when I plagiarized Jesus' talk about how his message didn't invalidate the ancient law of God, when we talked about how all the things that God had said in the Old Testament about how to live a good, godly life, all of those things Jesus said, hey, I affirm that. All of those things are still relevant. God's law wasn't meant to kill our joy on the good days. God's law was meant to give us a firm foundation on the stormy days. How many of us have been a part of the HRCC family long enough to remember when there were no townhomes across the parking lot? Do we remember? Most of us, I think, do, because it's only been a handful of years. But there used to be that wooded grove down there. We would go down there. The community would show up and walk their dogs. Sometimes you would see coyote and deer there. Leonard would go down there and mow those paths for us so we could could walk and enjoy. And the kids would go down there and play. And it was just kind of our own little private forest preserve. I remember when I got word that they were going to tear all of that down and build those townhomes homes. It's pretty inevitable. I knew, so I wasn't, you know, too interested in in fighting the process. I knew it was going to happen one day, but I remember thinking at the time, you know, the ground down there is pretty wet and mucky. It was kind of one of those low-lying areas where a day or two after the rain, you know, when you walk through it, your feet still went squick, squick, squick. And I remember thinking, you know, they're going to have to do something about that if they're going to actually build townhomes that people want to live in there. And so I imagine that in order to build, they would have to build that area up quite a bit. I thought that they would come in and clear all the trees and then the next thing would be that dump trucks would come with with gravel and with dirt and fillers so that that area could be built up. I actually was worried for a little while, are they going to build it up so high that all that runoff ends up back in our parking lot? Because... Right now, our parking lot runs off into that area. And I thought, this could end up being trouble for us. So I was surprised to see then that they cleared that entire field of all the trees and bushes and brush. And the very next day, rather than dump trucks full of filler showing up, you know what showed up? Excavators, backhoes, diggers. And they spent days and weeks digging even deeper, making it even lower. 
The builders knew that the key to building a solid structure is establishing a firm foundation. And sometimes that means the very first thing we have to do is dig. We have to dig. I mention that because I think it fits what Jesus is saying here. And I think it's a good word picture for our spiritual growth. When we think about how we want our lives to grow as we enter the kingdom of God, it's easy for us to think first about how we're gonna build up. God, we're gonna build up my faith. God, we're gonna build up my wisdom. God, we're gonna build up my joy. We're gonna build up my peace. And those are good goals, right? We want more of those things. Those are appropriate goals. And any Christian who puts Jesus' words into practice ought to expect a life that is marked by faith and wisdom and joy and peace and all of the other attributes of kingdom living that Jesus proclaimed. But building up often begins by digging down. And I've observed too many young believers that are discouraged when they discover that before their lives explode into the growth, the Holy Spirit wants instead to dig deep into their hearts and lay a good foundation. So maybe, maybe you choose to be obedient. Maybe you choose to put Jesus' words into practice and, and you make changes to your lifestyle. But instead of immediate celebration and victory, you discover kingdom living is hard work. Kingdom living is difficult because not everybody's a fan. Challenges arise. Opposition is fierce. And it feels like things are getting tougher rather than easier. If you ever find yourself in that situation, remember Jesus' story about the wise man building his house. Sometimes building up begins with digging down. So obedience doesn't always make sense at the time. So don't panic if you find yourself in a pit. Don't panic if you find yourself in a pit. Sometimes building up begins with digging down. And digging down deep isn't fun. It isn't glamorous. It might not be what you expected, but it is an important and necessary part of building a strong structure. For a long time, your life might not resemble the beautiful house of faith in God's glorious kingdom that, that you probably imagined it would. But remember, even the most luxurious mansions get their start as a hole in the mud. Some of us are in a pit today. We've been doing our best to put Jesus' words into practice, but things haven't gotten any better. <laughs> if anything, it feels like they've gotten worse because we prayed for healing, but the latest diagnosis was even more discouraging than the previous one. We've started tithing, but the bills this month were even bigger than the bills last month. We've forgiven our enemies and turned the other cheek, but it seems like that's only emboldened them to be even more cruel than they were before. We're in a pit. What went wrong? And what are we supposed to do about it? I think Jesus would, would tell us, be still. Don't you hate it when he says that? <laughs> That's not even my, in my notes. It just occurred to me, oh, doesn't that get you? 
when the Lord says, be still, be still. Be still, be still. What would Jesus tell us? I think he'd tell us to be still. I think he'd say nothing went wrong. What you're supposed to do. You know, what am I supposed to do, Lord? Well, here's what you're supposed to do. Keep trusting him. Keep putting his words into practice. Don't you love when the word of God tells us, don't grow weary in well-doing. It wouldn't tell us that if it was always easy. Who grows weary of doing the easy thing, right? No, it says don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary. Don't grow tired of doing the right thing. Don't grow tired of putting Jesus' words into practice. Keep trusting him. Keep putting his words into practice. Sooner or later, that foundation is laid. And then the work of building up begins in earnest. Just a little longer, the Holy Spirit says, and the framework of your kingdom life will be apparent for all to see. Because even the act of digging down into the mud is part of the process of building up, isn't it? It's part of the process. Even the act of getting down and dirty and wet and yucky and sloppy, even that act is part of the process of building up. Do you remember the story we heard Jesus tell today, the wise man building his house? What was, what was the wise man doing? He was building. That's what I've spent most of my time today focusing on. But do you recall the story? What was the foolish man doing? Well, he was doing the same thing. He was, he was also building his house. Everyone in Jesus' story was building their house. Nobody is sitting idly by. Nobody's taking a break. Nobody's just watching. Everyone is building. And I believe there's an encouragement to be found there. We've already said obedience doesn't always make sense at the time. So don't panic if you find yourself in a pit. Why? Because we're always building something. We're always building something. There will be seasons in your life when you feel like you're stagnant. You feel like nothing is changing. Nothing is growing. Or maybe, like we've already recognized, you feel like you're actually going backward. And Jesus says, take heart. You're always building something. And if you're building with Jesus, you can be confident that you are headed in the right direction. Will you, will you allow me to mix my metaphors today? I'm going to pick another metaphor. We, we borrowed Jesus' metaphor about building, but another one of his favorite metaphors is the metaphor of farming, of planting, right? And if I ask you to picture in your mind's eye a farmer's field today, most of us would almost immediately picture, you know, gentle rolling hills, plains, and we'd see the amber waving wheat, or we'd see the corn as high as an elephant's eye. We'd see those classic pictures of a farmer's field because that image for us is an image of growth. It's an image of abundance. It's an image of what it really is to farm. But what if I asked you to picture that very same field in the middle of winter? What does it look like? It's barren. You can tell just by looking that it's cold. It seems to be lifeless. But that doesn't mean that nothing is growing. Winter is essential to a healthy field because below the surface, 
Nutrients are being broken down. Soil is resting and it's being enriched. Essential moisture from the snow and ice is crystallizing in that top layer of black dirt. Even in winter, a healthy field never stops growing. We just can't always see it as easily. And in the same way, even when it doesn't appear to be so, even when it's not obvious, even when your spiritual life is missing kind of those more apparent indicators of growth, you're always building something. Maybe the landscape is flat, or maybe you're still digging in the basement. (laughs) But in ways that you might not be able to see yet, you're still building something. So take heart, take heart but also take caution. Take heart because you're always building something, but take caution because you're always building something. Don't allow yourself to believe the lie that your spiritual growth can wait for another time. How often do we hear people say it? I'll focus on that when, I, when I'm out of school or, or when I get married or when the kids come or when this busy season is over or when I have more time in retirement. You might think you're just delaying the project for a more opportune season in your life, but Jesus says, oh no, there's no such thing. You're always building something. You might think you're just putting the project on hold for a little while, but Jesus says you're more likely than you realize to awaken to a storm and find out that you've been living in substandard housing because we're always building something. The only real question is, what are we building on? Too many choose to build on their own wisdom or on the security of their wealth, their talents, or their abilities. Others try to build on ethics. Karma, really. Believing that somehow things will always turn out right. The universe favors those who have already done the right thing. Some people even choose to build on luck. Give me that lottery ticket. That's my hope. Hoping against hope that things are going to turn their way. Everybody's building something. We're here. It's the end of the sermon. (laughs) I told you at the beginning, this is the hardest part. This is the hardest part. So I'm going to mail it in. As we finish this sermon, and more importantly, as we finish the sermon that Jesus preached, we're going to not let me screw this one up. We're going to not rely on my words. There's a song that we sing fairly regularly here that I thought we would close with today. It's a song that fits particularly well with what we've heard Jesus say. The bridge says, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back into place and they're going to help us sing it. And I want to invite you, the congregation, to let this be the closing portion of today's sermon. I want to ask you to open your heart and your mind to what the Holy Spirit has said to you through the words of Jesus today. But then let's not skip out on that last part. Do you remember what I said the last part is? Oh, the meat of the sermon is about the information. Here's some things we need to know. Here's some encouragement that we need to receive. But that last part is the motivation 
and say, how can I apply this to my life? He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the wise man. Foolish man heard the same words. Did you catch that in the parable? He who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice. That's, that's the end of the sermon, isn't it? That moment that says, Lord, how can I take what you've said and put it into practice? How can I hear your words and not merely meditate on them or memorize them? How can I do more than just post them to my Facebook page? I want to be a wise man. I want to be a good builder. I want to know that my life is different because I've encountered the power of the living Lord. I want to build my life on what you said. Let's stand together and I invite you to make that encouragement. <clears throat>
worried or concerned when the things you say don't seem obvious to us. If they seemed obvious to us, we wouldn't have needed you. Thank you, Lord, that the wisdom of your words is so much higher than anything we could think, than anything we could know. And remind us in those inevitable moments when we find ourselves in a pit, that when we stand upon your words, we're always building a good foundation. Remind us in those moments where life seems fallow and flat and cold. That when we are anchored to your words, there is always growth. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, even when we can't understand it, the master builder is at work. And Lord, our prayer together this morning is in particular for those in our midst or in our hearts that are going through a storm right now. Torrents of rain are falling. The wind is banging the shutters against the houses of our heart. The streams are rising. And it feels unmanageable. Thank you for the foundation that is your words. We pray for our brothers and sisters in those moments that they would not grow tired of doing what you have required of us. But that soon they would break. The skies would clear winds would calm and we would find them standing strong on the foundation of their Lord and Savior. Move in our hearts, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Won't you greet and bless somebody on your way home today? You are dismissed.